Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin, where we discuss various micro and macro factors that are shaping up the increasing digitization of the world around us. My friend and co-host Derek is away traveling, I guess somewhere in Tasmania. He's traveling today, and so I'll be running solo today. But I do have an honor to introduce a guest, Paul Goldman, in a few minutes. Uh, he's the country head of OKCoin, joining us as a guest today. But before I introduce him, a few housekeeping notes. If you like the podcast, please like and comment, engage in a conversation, as we continually aspire to improve the content, both in quality and relevancy. Also, this is just a discussion appealing to intellectual attitudes and not investment advice. And last week, as you know, we discussed market commentary with Mark. Great reception, great comments. So keep those comments and engagements coming. Today, we have a special guest, and it's my pleasure to introduce and welcome Paul Goldman uh, to our podcast. Paul is country head for OKCoin. And from my understanding, and which Paul will correct and add on to it, is OKCoin is one of the fastest growing global cryptocurrency exchanges in the world with the lowest fee around. So Paul, first of all, welcome to Beyond Bitcoin. As a way of introduction, tell us your journey and entry into crypto. I'm always curious to know how people got into the space because everyone has a unique and distinct story. So welcome, Paul. Great. Thanks, Nitin. Thanks for uh, the opportunity to, to join you on your podcast. I appreciate it. So I guess my journey started probably around, well, it was, there was a bit of a journey in, in 2008 when I was uh, on a uh, secondment for Macquarie Bank in New Zealand. And we ran across a guy that was, uh, who was a client potentially of ours. And he was using some mining equipment, very, very primitive mining equipment for my, my private space or one of those sort of real life games online. And what he had going was he had a bank of servers out in West Auckland staffed by university students who would go out and physically pick virtual wheat out of a field to create value and tokens. And he would actually then sell those tokens for cash in his uh, shops in Auckland and around New Zealand. So that to me got me started thinking, wow, that's an incredible mining example of something. And that was super early, uh, 2008, 2009. It, it came back uh, to me in 2013 when some colleagues of mine from HSBC in Hong Kong went out on their own and went into this crazy notion of getting into an environment where they would create infrastructure to trade Bitcoin. And so I spent an hour with these founders who are founders of a very successful company in Hong Kong now. And I said that that's got no legs at all. There's, there's absolutely no value in that. So so I um, missed that opportunity there, but I did, did ask him to help me buy Bitcoin. And he said, yeah, that's fine. He could do that. I unfortunately, because I'm a bit of an old banker by heart, I asked for approval from HSBC compliance if I could buy this Bitcoin. And HSBC compliance said, look, we can't say yes, we can't say no, but it's obviously a risk you're going to take. And 
and that was really sad for me because I, I was too scared to sort of take compliance on. And you know, I think that'll sort of, as we go through this discussion, you'll see that that's kind of my, my um, you know, focus is being strong with compliance and, and making sure that the governance structures around me are all, are all good. But I didn't buy the Bitcoin, which was sad. And what's worse is my son, who's now in a crypto company now at the age of 12 or 13, he wanted to buy Bitcoin as well, but he didn't buy one because I didn't buy one. So it would have been transformational wealth for him. But <laughs> we missed that opportunity, which is very sad. Yeah, that's yeah, an amazing story. So this Bitcoin permission that you asked from HSBC compliance, when was that? I'm going to say that was 2013, 2014. Oh uh, my God, you missed that. And I bought it on 2013. I paid $110 yeah. US. And uh, wow, that's amazing. I mean, imagine if you had just bought $1,000 worth. Um, that that yeah. would have been a super interesting story, I think. Well, like, uh, I, yeah, well, definitely. I probably wouldn't have been, um, you know, working still, <laughs> I doubt. But, uh, but no, I, I managed to get some uh, a, bit, a fair bit later. Uh, and and I, I was trading perpetuals. Uh, and I sort of got washed out a little bit, but it taught me a lot about the trading piece and, and I, yeah. I'm an FX, uh, FX sales by heart. So there's a lot of skills and a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge that comes across from, from FX um, as we go. No, it's certainly fascinating. And I, I'll tell you, my story was in 2013. Uh, I, I wrote a check, ironically, to buy Bitcoin because at the time you could mine it and it was not economical to do it in the speed and time. So I just went and bought a few to experiment with it, lost a few, lost a few keys, partitioned a few things, lost a few of them in my laptop swap back in the day when, when I was at IBM and we had a laptop. So super interesting journey. I think everybody has a story. Always curious to get into that. So tell us a bit more about your role at OKCoin and what excites you in the space. Obviously, I can see this coming through quite evidently that you're obviously excited and you have a strong history from 2008 to 2009. Interestingly enough, not with Bitcoin in New Zealand, but for mining space, but tell us more about what's, what's your current role and, and, and your excitement uh, that drives you every day. Yeah, thanks, Nisha. Look, I think from from our, there's a few different things going on with our exchange. So there's so there's OK Group, which has common investors in OKX, which is the second largest exchange by volume behind Binance, and 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 obviously OK Coin. So. The interesting part about this is the OK Coin version is very much a regulated entity in, in jurisdictions where you would expect strong regulation. And Australia is going to be one at the moment, and we're in, in a queue for AFS, AFSL uh, commencing very shortly. Uh, the, the other uh, OK Coin businesses around the globe have very strong governance and compliance uh, around their uh, licensing regime and the structures they, they do. And that's setting a really strong platform for our TradFi. And, and new to market clients. And they'd like to engage with that en entity. The other side of the, of the trading solution, I suppose, is OKX, common investors, as I mentioned. They have absolutely brilliant technology. And so coming from a couple of really strong banks globally uh, over, my, over my career, I was always trying, being in sales and trading, you were always trying to sell product that was possibly not quite right. So it had a little glitch here or there, or the pricing's not right. It was always just something that was a bit marginal. And so when you're out selling that product, it's it's difficult. This version here with OKX, it's OKX and OKCoin, it's very much got absolutely elegant tech. It's beautiful technology. And what we are now tasked to do is get that out to the next waivers to the TradFi environment and also to continue the good work that's been done through the technology cell 
of our existing clients. And so for me, it's really exciting having those great conversations with, with TradeFi clients from uh, days gone by that are getting into crypto or new to market people that want to understand how it's, how it's all going. But what we've got is just a really wonderful amount of technology that's there and being able to unpack that in front of clients is a really exciting part of my role. That's, that's a good part of it. Uh, I guess the other part is obviously the challenge with regards to regulation right across the, the, the entities we deal with. And we as a firm very much embrace that. And we're trying to work through in many of the major jurisdictions that require heavy regulation through that process. And we have a very much a culture of regulation in our organization. And that's permeating right through the businesses that we that we have. And so being part of that process and the evolution of culture in that is a really exciting part of my role as well. And also, I just like talking to clients, right? And it may be cliched about <laughs> needs and, 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 and that sort of stuff. But really, if we can get to their needs and it's easy, in the old days in TradFi, you could talk about needs and sometimes you couldn't solve them or whatever but but in this environment most needs are pretty simple and as long as we can tease the need out of the client we can solve it uh with with various tech solutions or build outs we need to do and that's a really lovely part of it as well so it's an exciting place exciting firm run by really progressive and and uh evolutionary thinkers no i think uh i've actually looked into okay x back in the day and they've gone through interesting times and you're right i think some of the stuff they've done is Nothing short of uh, fantastic. But let me answer the question. I actually have a follow on to this, but I'm going to actually ask you as a first part and the second part of this question too. Traditional finance. Do you come from traditional finance? You get the space. You've pretty much dedicated a large part of your adult life working in financial institution, Macquarie Bank, HSBC, as you mentioned, uh, to name a few. And you obviously understand markets. You obviously understand a lot of things that have been transpired in the past. So that gives you a natural advantage over finance that comes to the space. And, and as you're navigating through this from a crypto, which was meant to be rebellious, which was meant to be changing the existing market structures, changing the way we have transacted, reducing the cost of transaction, removing intermediaries. Um, what is your perspective from what you have seen in the past working for a bank and now working for an exchange? Uh, any, any variation from your initial sort of thought process and saying, you know, it's more of the same, but existing asset classes. And now I know these regulations, so we need to apply these regulations versus this is different. And we need to understand this and explain the regulators. And in my past role, I did a lot of that stuff and it takes a lot of time. Love to get your thought because you have a unique perspective coming and working in a bank and suddenly now you're working in a largely what I have labeled as disruptive finance, right? Yeah, look at that. I'm just thinking about how many wormholes we can get in there, Nitin. and it's it's there's so many different things. <laughs> I, I think, from my perspective, the overarching difference between my experience and and the trading side versus crypto, you know, tradefi trading versus crypto trading, is a lot of the when you're in a bank, you've got to be profitable in every part of your business, and that that doesn't mean that every business needs to be profitable, but it means the client relationship needs to be profitable. And so every time you talk to a client, if you're not doing a deal to make money out of that out of that piece of um, business you're doing, you're trying to help out a colleague in another part of the group that's trying to make money because they're trying to cross-sell something. So I think it's a very collaborative yeah. environment. In, in crypto, I think a lot of the sort of build-up in the last couple of years, there's a, there's a real subculture of firms in the crypto industry that survive not necessarily on trading for profit, but trading for, for stipends, for retainers. For the, to create the appearance of volume on exchanges. And so to me, I've never been able to resonate 
that as a long-term viable part of the ecosystem. And I think what you're going to see over the next little while is that playing out as people sort of run out of money, not, not us included, but, but some of the marginal exchanges, marginal service providers, uh, you know, can't afford to continue to pay these people and you'll see volumes yeah. drop. The volume should have never been there in the first place. But what you're seeing is actually uh, clients that potentially should never have been involved in, in crypto yeah. uh, uh, because the trading piece is not there. So you've got to trade for profit, in my opinion. And I think that's what we're going to see coming going forward. And that's that's certainly an important part of it. So that that's that's good. Uh, I, I think the you mentioned on, on regulation and crypto. Look, I think for me, we want to make sure, and it's even above regulation, I think is the concept of fairness in our organization and making sure the trading is fair for, for all participants. So there's no fee advantage to anyone. There's no colo advantage to anyone beyond the, what's available for the high frequency users. So if you get to that level, yeah. you're subject to a standard, which everyone's connected to and creating that fairness and all the top exchanges have that fairness element and making sure that that's very key. Uh, we can't make it better for any one of our clients, even our top high fee paying clients, any, any greater than anyone else, because ultimately we're trying to create a fair place for people to do their business. And, that, and when it's fair, people will come and do their business. And I think that's important. Uh, from, a, from a regulatory perspective, obviously we've got OKCoin, which is really driving and striving to be a leader in that regulatory space from a big exchange point of view. Mm -hmm. and, and we've got, certainly got work to do there. But I think as well, the, the OKX business is also looking at regulation aggressively and trying to position themselves so that they are in a place where they can compliantly sell solutions to TradFi. So there's big hedge funds going in that business and they have to appeal mm -hmm. to those organisations. So getting that business uh, away from a, traditionally a, 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 um, a, a an organisation that had um, compliance as sort of part of the things they do, but not central to what they do. And so they're evolving as well, coming in line. And, and definitely for us, over the next five years, we will be one of the exchanges left on the ground because obviously we trade profitably and also we take regulation seriously. And whatever form that is, we will be working yeah. with players to, to deliver on that. So is that- No, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, and, and so, so one thing I've always debated and talked about in conferences and events and with, with my you know cohorts in the industry is the market structure, right? So today we have various entities who are market makers and you have custodians and you have investment managers and there's a whole process in place so that you remove concentration risk, you remove counterparty risk to create this sort of you know uh, fragmented structure, which has led to the challenges that we have today in transition cost, in visibility, in, in solving the issue of what, what blockchain, the underlying technology aims to solve time and trust. And I find... Exchanges like Coinbase, which is a dominant exchange in the US, of course, uh, you know, as, as vertically integrated, you know, they are exchanges, they are prime brokerages, they provide custody, they provide liquidity, they have the market, they have all of these into a single sort of vertical. While there may be different divisions and different departments, they do provide these sort of comprehensive services and have a national advantage of access to market data. Again, this high frequency trading element that you talk about. Um, so and I just wonder, is OKEX and OKCoin in the same sort of league uh, where they aspire to be vertically integrated, uh, again, providing those economies of scale to the industry, or they still adhere to the traditional market structures where they rely upon the various market makers and, and, and prime brokerage and custodian outside of the ecosystem? What is the thinking there? Uh, it's an interesting question. Obviously, 
Coinbase have the added advantage of the transparency afforded to them because of their listing. So that that helps Correct. them out. We we're a private company, and we when come, someone comes in for due diligence on us, it's 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 tricky because we can't be sending our information out around everywhere. Now we rely on NDAs, and and we do that uh, quite a lot. But it's it's obviously very hard for us. So we need to make sure that we're dealing with a bona fide customer before we and a serious customer. You know, we we don't share our data. Uh, you know, a, a personal financial data with anyone. So you have to be a proper client for us to, to engage at that level. In terms of credit risk and counterparty risk, so for us, uh, many of your readers will understand who we are and it's OKX. Uh, the marketing team will, will kill me if I don't correct you on that. It's not OKEX, that's <laughs> not name. OKX. Uh, they, we're started in the industry as a very, very solid credit rating. And so when you talk to crypto natives, OKX, OK, coin would be one of the gold standard in terms of credit ratings, like yeah. Binance, like FTX, that sort of stuff. So, so we're, we're good. With the TradFi guys, some of them understand who we are, some of them don't. So the, we got to educate them and, and some of them want to be educated, some don't. And so we will deal with organisations like Primes or, or Prime of Primes or various subversions of that in ways that our customers want to deal with us, right? So we are led by the customer engagement. We, and I'm very aware, and I'm on a project team internally, where we have to make ourselves uh, crypto, sorry, we have to manage our counterparty disintermediation efficiently and effectively, right? We don't want to do this with, you know, 500 different primes, but we want to work with partners that are actually aligned with what we're trying to do with our customers. And we want to enable the customers to get the best out of what we can bring. And maybe that's not credit rating, maybe the best market we've got, best access to market, best data, best execution, yeah. best option structure, and give them that piece of what they want. And if they want to do credit with someone else and we can work that out, then we're open to doing that. So, so we work with the with the anyone who's kind of serious about this and happy to collaborate with us and get best outcomes for our customers. And, and we're really led by the customer of that. So we have a number of these discussions going and some really wonderful solutions being built up for customers. And, and I guess we really need to focus on the reusability of those solutions because yeah. we have customers that, that we build for individual one-offs, but ultimately we want to reskill it. We want to reuse it, re re um, you know, retile it and put it back out to, for others to use as well. So I guess- yeah, no, our focus is the exchange, getting that fairness and tradability out to customers. How customers interact with that will be led by them uh, mostly. Got it. No, I think that's that's brilliant, Paul, especially the fact that you're organic. The industry is evolving and the ability for you to work with various market data providers, various sort of market access providers and, and traders and everything else. I think that's a, so the whole thing is if you're serious and you do want to work with OKX, uh, the doors are open for them to be able to approach you to say, hey, this is how you want to serve the industry as the industry itself evolves over time. You have various amount of new players, including various hedge funds, sort of various, you know, uh, prop traders who are trying to make a name for the space and, and many sort of very customized sort of firms who are looking into high frequency trading like, like avenues. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I have another question for you. So I see OKX or OKCoin into an exchange staking in DeFi sort of realm, which I think there's a role for many virtual asset service providers or RASPs as, as the vernacular goes. Of course, every country has a different or every jurisdiction has a different label for it. I'd love to get your perspective on differentiating value 
as many players get into the space, which ironically was meant to be a space for custodial finance, right? The ability for us to win, when Bitcoin initially came out, the whole idea was, and you see this new class of the intermediaries, and which is natural. We've seen that with internet, that suddenly you don't have a travel agent on your street, but you still have, you know, the likes of Expedia and Trivago, which curate your experience and give you a much more holistic point of view than simply booking a ticket. And I see some of you entities like OKX in this case, as you describe it, as a version of that in financial services space. Love to get your perspective to see how do you how are you differentiating yourself from the 300 plus different exchanges out there who are mainstream and there are thousands more who are aspiring to be at where you are in distinction of being the, the second largest in the world. Uh, how do you see this evolving? Yeah, look, that's a really, that's a challenging question. I guess it's, we, we focus on two parts of the business the trading part and then the market data part. The market data part has many different forms. We have uh, a business called OKLink, which uh, manages sort of like a, a chain analysis type engagement where it analyzes data and that business is out for hire. And we do work with some organizations and, and um, supranationals, that sort of stuff to, to, to exhaust that. We have a very strong wallet place and when the NFT part of the business is very strong, we, we acknowledge that is a pathway that we need to be a part of. But we always take it back to what we're good at, and that's the exchange principle to principle engagement using our platform. And so we've created a number of pathways for, for NFT NFTs to be bought and sold efficiently. And we've made smart order routing so that people can efficiently find the best way to convert their coins. There's a whole bunch of different ways that we're trying to bring our tradability into that and, and our smoothness and, and slickness of our platform into those engagements. So um, Immutable X is another one that we've done a lot of work with. You can see that that's uh, yeah. um, available there. So, so I guess we're once again, driven by customers and customers come to us and come to us for our skill in, in tech and, and elegance and execution algorithms and, and margin systems and, and um, matching systems and those sorts of things. And we can design solutions around that. I guess from our perspective, the hedge is in, in DeFi is important. Uh, I think myself personally, not, not a company view of this, we still as a centralized exchange will have a dominant place in this is as more TradFi guys come in to this business, we're going to be doing more, more volume in the TradFi part of the business where you've got, sorry, in the, in the um, centralized exchange part of the business where yeah. you've got good, good governance structures, good transparency and, and no sort of um, external outside influences that possibly sometimes aren't, aren't the greatest to impact. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah, tell us. Yeah, no, it does. And 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 that leads to the question when you mentioned your relationship with the Immutable X. Love to understand a bit more in terms of what you have done with them. But you talked about NFTs, and I I had as a researching for this for just talking to you this this evening. Uh, I had another question, which getting your views on these crypto exchanges, um, you know, and can also be exchanges for NFTs and game tokens and potentially private market tokens, because. You are providing a structure. You're providing the, you know, the the order book system. You're providing ability and expanding that to financialization of non-financial assets. These are NFTs and game tokens, which are on the rise, as as we have seen. Um, and 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 as instruments, these are all different instruments. But more recently, there was a debate in terms of NFT and royalty, which we we don't want to get into at this point in time because it's a longer debate. But love to understand. What is the view of, because every centralized exchange has gone with that FTX, Coinbase, they have either created different verticals, but I believe there are 
very few projects who have looked into NFTs to say these are things of value. And we want to be able to extend financial primitives to these tokens as well. Your ability to borrow, lend, buy, sell uh, in the same breath as you would do with other financial instruments or DeFi financial instruments, which are which are financial products in, in general. Um, what is, one, your perspective and where do you see this intersecting with the OKX's path that you're in? But before that, I'd love to at least get a, at least a small perspective on the work that you're doing with Immutable X. Yeah, I, I guess for the Immutable X stuff's online there. It's basically a marketplace for NFTs. We've, we've helped out with that part of the engagement. Yeah. The, the, um, the, the NFT thing for, for us, if I take it back to the original sort of rules around our listing committee, and it all revolves around that really, um, obviously notwithstanding security tokens and all that sort of stuff, that's obviously a challenging piece of the discussion, which I won't get into, but, but essentially the way we look at things at OKX is, and OKCoin is that the projects need to be, and this is even more so now with the, with the crypto Indian summer or whatever the term is going to be um, that we're calling it <laughs> today. But uh, it, the, the projects actually have to create some, some value for the community, uh, either crypto community and or the normal community or the, the sort of the community at large. It actually has to have a following. Like we, we won't be listing stuff that doesn't have a following and a, and a natural sort of uplift uh, in terms of um, uh, engagement. We actually have to have someone that's actually going to trade on it and then therefore justify the spend for us to list it and make money. But we look at all these, we, if, when they come across my desk or my peers desk, we just hand them into the listing committee and they run those totally independently and sort of fairly, I suppose, from, from our perspective, it almost goes, it goes into a black box and we as, we as salespeople and distribution country heads are channels for that information to get to the listing committee and then they will run that totally independently of everything that else goes on in the firm. So, so whether it's an NFT or whether it's a security token or, or whatever the, the form of um, it is, it has to be assessed by a number of different layers before mm -hmm. it actually gets to market. And, and that's, I think, uh, an important part of what we do. We want to make sure that we're actually adding, adding value and being accretive to the community with these engagements rather than just sort of running either side of the boat, rocking the boat from side to side. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And I think that's, uh, to me, that's eventually the evolution of this space per se, that you have a marketplace and you can go to the marketplace to manage all your assets, which is, I mean, at one point I had 160 plus different wallets only because I had all these different experimentation I was doing. And you need some way to just our human need to categorize and, and centralize a few things because it's easy for us to manage, regardless of the decentralized infrastructure that's managing and, 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 and transacting with these things. I think the lastly, give us a perspective. Go ahead. Sorry. sorry go ahead. No, I was just going to say uh, the other thing as well with regards to this this uh, downturn or you know sideways kind of market we're in at the moment. It's really brought projects the realization that you actually have to be creating some value there. You can't be dealt on hype, and yeah. whether or not NFTs are hype or not hype, I don't know. Uh, and I don't claim to know on that one, but what it means is you've got to have some value and underlying value that you bring. And that has to be a proper business case and a proper way to generate revenue. And that's uh, fundamentally, I think in the past when we've been in the hype mode, we possibly have missed that with some of these projects. And I think that's definitely coming to the fore now when, when people look at projects now to list and make sure that they're available for, for, for organizations, they have to have a good business case behind them. And that's not just us. 
you know, yeah, people who are trying to raise trying to raise money and trying to get uh, people and businesses live, they have to really be thinking about what that near-term and long-term uh, business model is like. And I think that's really great evolution. This is exactly where the industry should be going, um, which is great. No, no, I, uh, I, you know, I completely agree. I think with the initial success of Board Ape Yacht Club and subsequent projects, whether you're taking a bird or taking another animal and, and creating a whole series of tokens, really to your point is what value is it really adding? And in early days, when I was working with NFTs, uh, Paul, I looked into pragmatic elements that these are meant to be non-fungible, they're meant to be unique, they're meant to actually have intrinsic value to the holder of these tokens. So I would say that your identity, your healthcare records, these could represent NFTs and you could lend them to physicians and to clinical trials and monetize these things as a use case, because they will always be yours. They could be misused, but they typically people shouldn't be able to take your stuff and and own it. And this, those are the elements. And of course, then you have family heirlooms, family events, and they have different value systems that they go with it. But I see your point that there has to be a notion of value creation. And these, while they may be experiment or the fact that many of the initial pioneers who were in this industry, I think, who have gained this massive wealth from being the first, I think there's a lot of that phenomenon to say, I want to be the first to do this because this may have value in future because of the, whether it's scarcity or whether it's being the first to the party, whatever the case may be. And if that's the value to them, it's fine. But the ecosystem has to agree to the value system or the valuation mechanism. So, yeah. But and I think in terms of TradFi, or not even TradFi, just the, the non-crypto world, this, this NFT type of engagement lives very clearly in, in art dealers' Uh, black books, yeah. right? There's a whole infrastructure of, of art dealers that ring their good clients first, get them in early to uh, to a series that's that's coming out, and then ring the, ring the new clients, the newbies last. And those sums, sometimes they can flip those whole uh, collections around a couple of times, and that's how they create themselves a market. And this has been going on for a long, long time before NFTs. So it's no real difference. Yeah, to no, that. no electronic version so one thing you know one thing i i love to get to two parts of this question again the second part of my first question that i asked you as you were from financial services industry and you went into crypto industry now i see a lot of that i see a lot of financial professionals because there's this understanding of markets there's understanding of trading phenomena there's understanding of regulatory elements this only because you have legacy of banking system that's been evolving over hundreds of years but i see a lot of as a technologist who came in this industry I now work financial institution, but I see a lot of folks from the industry now moving to crypto. And while it's great because you bring the acumen, you bring the understanding and you are able to explain that to the regulators, to the industry, structure the products and everything else. Uh, what's your opinion on this cross-pollination that needs to happen? Because if you have the same people with the same mindset building this, this product with newer intention, newer technology, newer uh, value systems. At some point, the crypto markets begin to look and feel like your existing markets, which was never the intention. So you now mm -hmm. you have, you know, uh, you have derivative space, you have sort of, you know, trading the happening and you have volatility, you have all these things. And suddenly now you have exchanges that could halt trading a concept that we could never envision when we got into the space to say, this is really meant to be uh, a system that is decentralized. It's censorship resistance. It is meant to have a non-custodial element to it. And, you know, there should be no one in control. And suddenly you see every single exchange. I just want to see, if, is this because the fact that you have all these financial professionals who are now running the industry because it's this finance associated with it? What, what's your perspective? Yeah, it's an interesting question. From, 
from our perspective, I think there's not enough financial markets people getting into it. I think they need to be aware of what's happening in financial markets and what's happening in crypto. And very quickly, the key roles are being filled up in crypto organizations by TradFi people that are willing to take a pay sure. cut sideways and with the vision that that's going to be a long-term play. And, and I think there needs to be more of that. There's been a little bit of it, but I think there can be more of that. And why is that important? I guess from our perspective, without tradability, without the ability to buy and sell efficiently with great liquidity, many of these projects just never get going, right? They, they, you, you have liquidity there so you can uh, buy and sell and understand the value of your project or understand compared to Bitcoin or whatever it is you're trading. And this crypto liquidity is, is really important. And that, that only comes when businesses trust what's going on with the, with the organization. So the TradFi people coming into it, whether it's a TradFi salesperson or whether it's a TradFi business, they bring that element of security, that safety in there that, and, and liquidity around that so that they can create a market, which then people with projects can trade in and out of. So I think that's that's good. Uh, I, I know it's not along the lines of decentralization, but ultimately the, the spirit of the crypto is still there. Uh, it's just getting a wrapper of more tradability and more reliability in terms of market uh, uh, transparency and, and executability. Uh, and if I look at the, the pullback from, from the highs, 67,000, whatever it is, uh, Bitcoin back to here, that's also yeah. a really good, that, that's also a really, yeah. really good for markets, right? As a TradFi organization, it's very, very hard to organize a business opening and get allocation for resource at 65,000 plus uh, because in Bitcoin, because what do you do? Do you buy? Do you go along there? Do you, I don't know, yeah. like it's a, it's a tough first up trade to put on. And so back here now, it becomes tradable and it becomes, there's a range there. There's, there's been experiences at highs and lows and, and we've seen super volatile markets and not our exchange shut, but other exchanges closed for periods of time where the market can't keep up with the order execution flow. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't happen on OKX, but, uh, but, uh, but, it, but it happens. So we've seen all those, uh, all those uh, extremes of markets and, it, and we're through it and we're working through it. Yeah. And some of the cartoon characters have been washed out over the, that sort of middle part of the year, which is actually not, not a bad thing as well, uh, because what you're left with is a bunch of serious businesses that are actually generating, in most cases, good cash flow. And, and either providing good value to the community or you know potential good value in the community while they do generate cash flow. So yeah. uh, I think TradFi is here to stay in the, in the industry and I think it's a good thing. I think it brings governance and structure and, and dependability to the, to the nascent, still, still nascent asset class of cryptocurrency trading. So Can't I think it's good. You know, this, is, this has been really fascinating and I think um, I need to, I'm writing all these things down to go back and research a few things that you mentioned with the OKX. Uh, and I did mention OKEX because a lot of documentation back in the day was OKEX uh, only because it was yeah, exchanged back in the day. So, so one last question before, you know, I can, we could talk for hours, uh, Paul, and thanks again for spending uh, my evening and your morning with me from this, but your perspective on crypto outlook in general, and we've been discussing this great decoupling where today crypto is tightly correlated, which is not the case in 2017 with Bitcoin, which is a industry benchmark in general. And love to get your perspective that, you know, which, being uncorrelated not only provides a true alternative investment option, but fuels innovation towards, let's say, ownership economy and has less impact on off, you know, the modern monetary, you know, theory and the MMT and and more so driven by the economic fundamentals of demand and supply and liquidity of, of 
uh, of uh, truly liquid cryptocurrencies and crypto assets. Love to get a quick sort of your perspective of where we are because it's been super interesting. And I think the outlook that I see, which again, crypto industry keeps complaining about the fact that look, it's the interest rates. And like there was never a conversation in 2017. Mm. Yeah, and I've thought a lot about it and I, and I can't make a clear path <laughs> forward in it. I, I guess I can bring up some points and and then you can jumble them up sure. how you like. Obviously, there's 15% more Bitcoin to be mined. 70% of Bitcoin's not been not exchanged hands this year. 2%'s been lost. So there's not actually much liquidity in there going through the market at the moment. So that's why we're probably why we're a bit sideways and a bit quiet. Yeah. And and I think that's that's also the, the sort of part B on that one is Bitcoin's ever only the, the strength or the weakness of Bitcoin's are really only the temperature of crypto markets in general, I, I find. And so the fact that it's sideways is that it's everyone's in building mode and not sort of a growth mode, if you like. And so Bitcoin's kind of sideways. Uh, I think obviously when the Fed Reserve get to the point where they're going to get to eventually, things might change and Bitcoin might um might uh, sort of recover. Uh, I guess the other thing as well is how much of a mess it's going to be left at the end of it all when when the uh, rate hikes are, are over and, and inflation takes a pause. I think the mess that's left there will largely dictate us a, a potentially a rally when we see how we're going to get through it um, and how we're going to manage the world that we know it after that. Uh, you know, the tensions in Europe are obviously in the energy prices also off a little bit, but the, the the temperature in Europe is still pretty hot in terms of um, geopolitical activity. So there's a lot to throw at it, and you know you couple couple this with uh, inventory levels across the globe at all time highs. People not buying anything for 2023 uh, in terms of inventory right across the board. It's a crazy time coming up. Yeah. I actually personally think that when the rates settle, I think cryptocurrencies will make a not a rally higher, but like a squeeze higher. I think there'll be yeah. investment opportunities where crypto, where Bitcoin as the as the sort of the king, uh, Ethereum as the queen, the, the Bitcoin uh, will kind of rally uh, a little bit and get into the mid twenties and probably go sideways there for a bit. So I don't think the explosive rallies of, of 2020 and 2021 that we've seen are going to be back anytime soon. Maybe that's the the next halving or something we we, we can look for that. But but I think a tradable market. A market that's full of liquidity um, for for people to get in and out of a tradable market will evolve from this, and I think it's going to be gently higher, um, but but nothing explosive, uh, not for this yeah. next eighteen months or so. No, this is truly fascinating. But again, Paul, uh, thank you so much. Uh, how do our audiences get in touch with you? And only because I think your perspectives were not only fascinating but well thought out, well balanced. Uh, nothing out of the you know of the crazy perspective, which is great because I think more than ever we need a balanced perspective in the industry. Versus, how how do how do our audiences get in touch with you? What, what's the you know what's the best way to do that? Oh, it's probably LinkedIn's probably the best medium. I'm I'm on there quite a lot, trying to keep up with the number of stories and and all the releases our marketing team do all the time, trying to um, change our um, image a little from OKEX to OKX. So uh, LinkedIn, <laughs> yes, uh, Paul right. Goldman, obviously in Australia. And uh, yeah, I'd love to, um, to have discussions if anyone wants an introduction to either organization, OKX or OKCoin. And, you know, it's been wonderful being part of this. And hopefully I've imparted some of the, the ways we think as a firm uh, about, about the strength of, of good governance and good regulation engagement, engagement with regulators 
and that really being the future of a centralized exchange going forward. Um, now, so. that's that's great, Paul. Again, thank you so much uh, for audiences. Paul Goldman, country head for OKX. And Paul, thanks again and have a great day ahead of you. OK, coin. OK, coin. Country OK, head, coin. Right? That's right. OK, coin, country head. Important for the regulator. For the regulator. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> OK, coin, country head. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks, thanks again. Sir. Take care. Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.